Welcome into the nuts. I'm Amal Shaw. That is Mike Palm back in. I'm yeah. sure you've got a plethora of plays yeah. coming up today. Hair's not looking no good. I had a, a lot of hairspray on yesterday. No hairspray. Yeah, today. well, thank God you uh, <laughs> cut down on the amount of hairspray you have in here today. But more importantly, let's talk about the disrespect that continues to come out of Green Bay in terms of what they're doing with Aaron Rodgers. When is this team ever going to help this quarterback who could have won you multiple Super Bowls, but they choose to select backup quarterbacks and guys that don't matter? I don't know. He's, they want to make him out to be the villain. Why is this guy the villain? I, I don't know. What are they going to do with him, Amal? If they're going to trade him, didn't they have to trade him on draft day or right before draft day? What, where's he going now? I have no idea, but I'll tell you right, uh, this Jordan Love is not the answer, and I don't Jordan think they have a solution. And I'll t- the other He's thing worse is, than Hundley. If Jordan I, Love is worse I, than I Hundley. I agree with you. I'll tell you, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't get what he wants in terms of a potential trade, I wish he would retire. That would sabotage the entire Packers season. I think he's got too big an ego to retire, though. I think that's the problem there. Well, there's also about, what, 37 million reasons to come back? Well, that that's a factor, a small <laughs> factor. It's like with you, though. The money is irrelevant. You do it for the, the six days is for the love of the game. There's no question about it. The ability to passion that I possess to come in here and work with you five days a week and then to be in there with Wes Reynolds I mean it's off the charts the just the enjoyment I can't speak enough I think of it. about you're going to demand a seventh day soon I I'm a guy who doesn't believe in taking days off forget the Sabbath it's all about working every day for me speaking of working what about Jimmy Garoppolo is he going to be the working man in San Francisco the starting quarterback there when you look at the odds right now for the 49ers he's minus 305 to be the week one starter mm-hmm. Lance is plus 250 Josh Rosen once again with the new offensive coordinator, he's 25 to 1. Nate Sutfeld at 33 to 1. Look, I think that if they'd have drafted Mac Jones, you had a better chance that somebody other than Garoppolo was going to be starting. Lance is a, is a project. I mean, I, I know they, they like the kid, right? And, and the front office, Lynch, they had high hopes for him, big upside for him. But I mean, I would have thought Fields or Jones had a better chance to start week one. I think drafting somebody that's made one start in 15 months almost guarantees Garoppolo is your starter at least the first half of the season. 49ers over under win total 10 and a half odds to win the Super Bowl 14 to one. And then also when you look at an NFC championship right now, plus 650 NFC West plus 180, make the playoffs minus 177 to miss it at plus 144. To me, I think that number 11 wins is pretty optimistic for San Francisco. Very competitive division. As you know, they're going to go against 0 and 2 against that team from L.A. That's very possible. Yeah. But we don't know. We don't know. I think Arizona's a bit of a wild card. I think yeah. Seattle might be a bit of a wild card. Maybe Seattle. Maybe Seattle's the worst team of the four in this division. I don't know yet. You still have Russ. Uh, but it's a tough division. You can't really guarantee two wins against any team because the bottom of the division is so strong as well. I mean, it's a pretty balanced division. I don't love geez, I don't love them at plus 180. I don't think that's enough of a price uh, to take them to win. Uh to take them to win the division in terms of making the playoffs it might be a little bit more enticing, but I, I I'm with you. You know, I give you a hard time about the Rams, um, but you put a quarterback like Stafford, who's going to be, who's going to give you 16, 17 starts. Who's going to make much, many more throws than golf was capable of making. You put him on a team with a running game and with a top three defense. I think they're the team to beat. I agree with you. You know, I love what you just said about the Rams because that's my whole argument. I don't believe Matthew Stafford's an Aaron Rodgers type of upgrade. All I'm saying is I think with McVay's ability to call plays with the talent that they have around him, I think when you look at them in terms of receivers and tight end, they are underrated. Robert Woods, to me, is a top 10, top 12 receiver in this league. Cooper Cup is unbelievable in situational spots, third down, short, uh, his ability to make first downs. But I don't know if I'm a believer in the 49ers. I know they were decimated by injuries, but you also mentioned that Rams defense. I don't think they get enough credit when you've got the best defensive player. For my money, the best player in football in Aaron Donald. I think it's not close to Rams are the best defense in that division. Yeah. Uh, 
top three in football. And here's the other thing I always say about the Rams, and I said this in their super, their special teams is, is special, right? I mean, the Hacker is a tremendous punter. They didn't miss too much of a beat when they, they let their line go to the Cowboys. McVay is a play caller. Weapons, uh, it's all there. Yeah. It's all they just have to perform at this point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When you look at it, to me, it's absolutely there. You mentioned Seattle still three to one to win the division. The Cardinals at six to one. I don't know if I'm a believer in this mm -hmm. team. I think they're trying to revitalize JJ Watt, and I just don't believe he's the same player he once was. I'd rather take a shot at the Cardinals at six to one than the Seahawks at three to one, though. Tend to agree with you. Seattle still a lot of question marks. They have a similar situation that we see in Green Bay, which is they have not helped Russell Wilson with the offensive line for the last half a dozen years. Well, what do they want to do? He tried to he tried to let Russ be Russ a little bit more last year. Defense was all time bad in the first yeah. half of the year. What's their identity? That's a great question mark. Still needs to be answered by Pete Carroll and that Seattle team. This is the Nuts. I'm Amal Shaw. That is Mike Palm. Great show on tap today from Pro Football Focus. We're going to have Mike Renner join us. Uh, he's the lead draft analyst, also co-host on the Two for One Drafts podcast. Notre Dame alum, it says here in my notes. So what's he going to do? Talk to us about players drafted in the fourth through seventh round? Now, Amal, why do you have to throw shade? I mean, everything. It's not I shade. I state facts. Yeah, but it's unnecessary. I mean, uh, I don't go take shots at the Buckeyes. I don't take shots. Take all at the, the shots you want. They've had I two losing seasons since 1950. I don't. I mean, the, all the scandal and this. I don't do anything Sc like scandal. that. You, listen, the, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Welcome to the yeah. SEC. I don't do that for you. I show respect to your university. Okay. Respect, please. Give me a break. You guys just don't, listen. If you guys were actually at that level, you wouldn't do the same. But it's that's all right. I digress. Let's we're a national brand. Okay. You once were. You in Michigan, my you God. You, you, you know what you guys should Don't call yourself? Don't compare us to Michigan. No, no, no. You, Michigan and Notre Dame are like Kmart and Sears, what they used to be. Oh, Sears. They're open like four hours a day <laughs> now. What's point. going on? So is Michigan's football They're program. They're open noon to four. How do you run a store like that? <laughs> Michigan's football program is the Sears and Roebuck of college football. They were a great program 70 years ago. Yeah, they had a catalog at one point. That's <laughs> yes, exactly right. Let's get into a little bit of chatter on starting quarterbacks in the National Football League. I want to talk a little bit about Aaron Rodgers. And, Mike, I was going through the first round picks for the Green Bay Packers since 2012, 10 picks, one player on the offensive side of the ball, and that was a quarterback. Oh, don't you have a Hall of Fame quarterback already? Yeah, but the argument always was if they could have a defense to go along with Rodgers that they would they would get over the hump. Remember, they lost the playoff games 52 to 45. I mean, some of the years they got eliminated. They've also lost how many NFC Championship games at home during his tenure? Three? I yes. mean, I don't know that you could point to any other quarterback that's done that. I think he stands alone. I, I would agree with you, but you know, some of the play calling decision making falls on the coaching staff as well. We you, we talked about it the other day. You mentioned on Monday, second down and seventeen. Matt Lafleur deciding to uh, throw the football. Yeah, it was. I thought that's where the game was lost. In Absolutely, the mid, in the middle eight there, and then they just got too far behind because of that. That changed the whole game. Give Tampa Bay credit though. They got aggressive and got a touchdown out of that that the turn of events there. Listen, Bruce Arians is an aggressive play caller. We've seen it throughout the course of his career. And again, we saw it in the NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl. Both coaches on the opposite sidelines made egregious mistakes that cost their teams immensely, and they couldn't overcome it. Here's the thing. If you're Green Bay, are you in a rebuild mode now that you're going to get rid of Rodgers? They've got 26-6 and six the last two years. That's why I don't understand the pick of Jordan Love last year, and I don't understand this year in terms of going out. I get Stokes defensively, but why not? They have not drafted a wide receiver in the first round since Javon Walker out of Florida State. I'm going to throw some names out to you there. I can't remember that far back. Yeah, that's my point. Nick Perry out of uh, Southern Cal. Tony Jones, I can't remember his name. Yeah. Deton Jones, I'm sorry. UCLA, Haha, -ha, Clinton Dix, Demarius Randall, Kenny Clark. 
I mean, outside of Jair Alexander, none of these guys have really materialized. They've not had a lot of great things to work with for him there. Give him somebody to work with. Look at what Mahomes has. They have catered that offense in Kansas City around Patrick Mahomes. That being said, to all your arguments about what they haven't done to help that offense, he still sits in position as the one seed in his conference each year and sit and is set up with a, a home game to go to the Super Bowl. I, how much more do they need? They just need to be better on that day. Well, I would agree with you, but don't you think Mahomes, when you look at it offensively, he needed an offensive line, didn't provide it in the Super Bowl. Defensively, there's some question marks. I think the same thing applies. And if Rodgers, for some reason, doesn't suit up for the Packers this year, it changes the entire dynamic of the NFC. Because I thought you made an excellent point. They're probably outside of the NFC East in the weakest division, and they should be able to win their division comfortably. And if you're looking at odds in terms of winning the Super Bowl or getting through the NFC, you have to look at Green Bay probably over the Rams and Tampa. Absolutely, because either Tampa Bay again will have to go there, or the Rams. Remember, the Rams went there last year and couldn't win at Lambeau. And then Tampa went there and won the NFC Championship game. So, I mean, they were road warriors this year. I still like a team to have a home field advantage in a title game. And I still think Green Bay set up. If Rodgers isn't there and Jordan Love is their quarterback, they don't make the playoffs. Uh, playoffs? I'm not, I'm playoffs? Not, no, I'm not even trying to imitate Jim Moore. I'm, I'm being serious. Forget about it. They're they're drafted in the top twelve. He's all, a complete difference maker. All of a sudden, the Vikings and Bears become very viable. Well, I don't know about that. Kirk Cousins is still in Minneapolis. Uh, uh, you think the Bears a lot better? You think well, Fields is going to start week one? No, it's not that I think Fields is going to start. I think there's just a new atmosphere in the room. I think sometimes mm-hmm. when you have a change of voice in terms of leadership, you have a new quarterback in there. I don't think anybody believed in Mitchell Trubisky, including Trubisky himself. I, I don't know if he still does. <laughs> right? Ryan I mean, Pace, the only guy in the world <laughs> believed in him. It's unbelievable. By the way, uh, Ryan Pace should be donating 50% of his salary to Trubisky. Yeah. I think Kuiper, though. Kuiper was high on him before the draft that year. I don't know that he suggested trading up to get him. But. Yeah, exactly. Right now, you still have the Buccaneers as the favorite at 3-1. to one. Packers 8-1 to one to win the NFC. Another team that could be in some tor- turmoil with quarterback situation. Cam Newton right now in New England. Projected starter at minus $4.00. Mac Jones, the first round pick out of Alabama at five to one, and Jared Stidham at six to one. You know, they keep telling us how great these Alabama players that go to New England are. I'm still waiting for the second one outside of Dante Hightower. So is it Mac Jones who's going to be the one? Uh, I think Mac Jones will have time to learn there. Um, is he going to have a lot of weapons? No, they're going to have to build a team around him. I know that that they're high on these Alabama these Alabama players. When we talked to our guest in the last uh, in the last segment today. I know he was high on the Barmore pick that they were able to get him uh, as well as uh, Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma in terms of the defensive lineman. I liked him, yes. Yeah, and that Belichick can build that defense back up. And, I mean, Cam, look at Cam went there. I think Cam performed adequately for them. It wasn't a great team. He, he kept them competitive in most games. And I think they'll have time to tutor Mac Jones if that's going to be their quarterback of the future. Well, not only that, I think the one thing that gets forgotten with New England last year was they had more opt-outs on, due to COVID than any other team before the season started. I think six on the defensive it's side fine. alone, it's, right? It's exactly. You look at that. When you look at who they'll have coming back, it makes a huge difference for them. That'll improve this team drastically. There's still a lot to work with there. I, I'm not as big of a believer in Cam Newton as maybe some other people are, but if you have a defense that can perform, remember the Buffalo game. They're right there in it. He's driving late. They fumble the football. This is a team that can be competitive in a lot of different situations. And I think in the NFL, getting off to a fast start is so vital. If they score against Seattle on that goal-to-go situation, mm-hmm. and if they're able to kind of come in and finish the drive against Buffalo, that season could have gone completely different for New England. When you talk about New England, you talk about a win total or projected in this yeah. year. Remember, they're on the good side of the flip of schedules. Right. Remember Miami now has to face a much tougher yeah. schedule. New England face a weaker schedule. They're coming off of Brady. They had to face a Brady 
Brady's schedule. Now you're coming off uh, uh, a third-place finish. You mentioned Miami. I want to ask you a quick question. If you're facing Miami defensively, do you have your safety at the line of scrimmage? Because that's where all the action is with two on the bootlegs. He's not going to throw the ball two yards down the field. It's only going to be within one yard. Yeah, the safety's got to be five, six yards off the line. (laughs) But his average pass only goes five yards, and he's he's at a seven-set drop. (laughs) Well, that's why I think, to your point about Miami, I think New England actually has a chance to be uh, the second team in this division. Mm -hmm. I think Miami, with that flip in terms of the strength of schedule, this year going to be much more difficult, will be a challenge. I think New England, as you alluded to, seven and nine, uh, thirteen to one to win the AFC, uh, a, uh, the win the AFC East plus three thirty three and make the playoffs plus one thirty two. Win total of nine. So the plus one thirty two kind of tells you that the odds makers see a, a positive trend for New England this year. I'd, I'd probably need uh, something closer to twelve to one to win. I think that if if Josh Allen performs anywhere near what he did this year, that this is really a, one of the divisions that that shouldn't be that competitive. I think Buffalo's a Buffalo's a 12-13 win team. Yeah, but you still, and you're going with uh, Cam Newton being the starting quarterback there. He Definitely. I thought this price when we looked at it yesterday was way too cheap. Mac yeah. Jones is not ready to be a day one starter here. No, I agree with you. You know, the, oh, it's very hard. Unless you you have a team that's 1-15, and 2-14, you're going to bring a rookie in and start them. Absolutely right. I, I think that's one of the critical things. Speaking of rookies, the Chicago Bears, who mm-hmm. will be their starting quarterback in week number seven, excuse me, week number one, week 17. Mm-hmm. Andy Dalton minus 167, uh, Justin Fields plus 160, Nick Foles plus $9. I actually think Justin Fields has a shot here. I'm not saying because I think Fields is going to be some great quarterback in week one. I'm just not a believer in the red rifle. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Who's the choice above him? I yeah. mean, it's Dalton. Um, do we know Dalton's going to be 100% healthy? Where do you think Dalton's going to project out? What becomes really interesting is if Rodgers goes out of the division, aren't you inclined then to start fields earlier because you have a shot to win this division? Not, not only that, if you are Matt Nagy, your job is on the line. You're not going to sit there and say, I'm going to go down with the red rifle. Mm-hmm. You drafted uh, Justin Fields in the first round. You're going to take a chance with him because even if it, look, he th- can throw the deep ball accurately. There's some, for me, the big question mark with him is accuracy on some short and intermediate routes at times and then the tendency to hold on to the ball too long. But when you look at his mobility and some of the plays he's going to be able to make, I think in a lot of areas he's going to be a far upgrade over anybody they have on their roster. Well, when you look at him in in terms of Dalton and Foles, who have zero mobility, right? I mean, he really gives some dynamics to that offense. So if you do think Rodgers, this is sort of a correlated bet, right? If you're going to bet Rodgers is not the person to take the first snap in Green Bay, you'd also think that Fields would take the first snap in Chicago. Well, I think there's some... Validity to that, I don't know if I'm necessarily buying that in terms of if Rodgers isn't there, you make a move with the Red Rifle. I think for Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, it's about winning in 2021. If not, they're going to have two new people in those positions. So regardless of what happens in Green Bay. Yeah, I just don't think, how many games are you going to you going to go into with Dalton in that division where you're going to be favored outside of Detroit? You won't be favored against the Vikings in either game. Yeah. If Rodgers is still there, you're a touchdown underdog to Green Bay even at home. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, but I still think this defense is good enough to, if they have some good play on the offensive side on the quarterback position, and I think Montgomery's a solid running back, we could see the Bears trend in the right direction. Mike, let's shift gears a little bit here. Let's go behind the bets. You've got an interesting play coming up here, and the reason I say that, uh, this might be the first time all year I'm looking at a game involving the Baltimore Orioles and the Seattle Mariners. I have a tendency to stay on certain teams and focus in on them. It tends to be beneficial for me. Hasn't been lately. I've been getting killed lately. But uh, when you look at this one, you like this game first five under four here. Yeah, so it's a day game here in Seattle, and it's the third game of the series between the Orioles uh, and the Mariners. Look, the, there's both first fives were cruise cruise control winners the last day. The four starters in this series in the first two games have only given up three runs combined. The runs have come late with uh, 
with the Orioles rallying to, w- to win in one game with five in the eighth inning and then 5-2 last night uh, with Seattle. Both games as a, as a game, a total state under the number. Means has been great. We talked to Josh Towers before the year about Johnny Means was going to have to carry this team, right? He had, Johnny had, Means business. Johnny Means business. He had nobody else around him. He's been absolutely terrific. 3-0 and with a 1-7-0 ERA so far for them and a whip under one at point four at point four for Baltimore so far. I've always liked you say Kikuchi, I say Tomato. He was very good against Houston in his in his last start. He went seven innings. He only gave up one. Hit. He took a no hitter into the into the seventh in uh, in Houston in his last start. And he's been he's been hitting ninety six ninety seven on the gun. I think he's coming into form. And just the lack of bats here, I like it. I got this at at four. I'm not laying three and a half. You know, I think there's that critical difference between four and three and a half especially in an American League park where the pitchers aren't batting. Right? Sure. We talk about this game this morning with the White Sox and uh, Cincinnati. Even though it's played in the small park, Sonny Gray and Dallas Keuchel made four of the first 30 outs. Right? They got through the orders twice. Right. They finished with seven, eight, nine in the top and bottom of the fifth. Uh, and it, it came nowhere close to four. Right? Zero, zero, only, uh, only three hits in the first five. So I'm under four here, and I laid 20 cents first five in this game. I think this goes at 12.30 Pacific. You know, you took the it's at uh, three and a half right now at DraftKings. Mm-hmm. To me, if it's at three and a half, I would have to play the under seven and a half. Mm-hmm. I like that number. The three and a half can be a bit precarious, even though it's uh, under is plus one seventeen. Your number four is so critical because you could wind up with a push, but you l- don't get beaten that scenario as opposed to where it takes five runs to beat you. And if five goes over or it gets to five, your chances are you're probably in a position to lose the seven and a half. Obviously, yeah. And you're going behind the bets to a game that I like as well as you. We were both on this in the first leg. This is to see who's going to take on Man U in the final of the Champions League. Uh, and a very interesting game today. We saw this game play out in Spain. Two totally different halves. A wide open first half yeah. with Chelsea and Real Madrid. Now this, the scene shifts to England where we saw snow yesterday in Manchester on the pitch. Again, we see the total two and a half. Yeah, this one again at Stamford Bridge. And to your point, Mike, remember, first of all, take into account the scoring in the first matchup, which was played in Real, excuse me, in Madrid. And you had Chelsea coming out of there with a 1-1 draw, but they had the away goal. So if you're unfamiliar with Champions League, it's a combination of goals, but there's more weight put towards the away goals. So in that case right now, Chelsea leads on aggregate if this game were to draw at nil-nil. Real Madrid has to score at least once to have an opportunity to be able to get to the final against Manchester City. And even if they get on the score sheet, I expect them to be a little bit more defensive. They were terrible in that first half. Thibaut Courtois bailed them out a couple of times, also misplayed a ball that led to a Pulisic goal. So for me, I think it's a scenario where this is going to be one where whoever gets first blood, as you like to say, they're going to park the bus, and it is going to be difficult for the other team because if Chelsea scores once, they are guaranteed an opportunity for at least for 30 minutes of extra time, even if Real Madrid scores as long as they don't give up two. A couple of points here. I didn't recognize Real Madrid in the first of the half of that game. Yeah, it was odd man break, as we say in hockey, <laughs> yeah. after odd man break for Chelsea. And they Madrid was very lucky Chelsea didn't score three times in the first half. Let's You're absolutely look, right. Now let's talk about Chelsea since Thomas Tuchel came, right? They've only given up four goals in 18 matches. The goal Madrid scored was an incredible goal, right? It really a du- was, yeah. A doubleheader off of a... Yeah, yeah Benzema off a, off a ball that got tapped twice off a corner that yeah. uh, was able to kick it about shoulder height and keep it under the goal post, right? I mean, it, it was an incredible... Really, the only scoring opportunity for Madrid in that game. I think Chelsea's parking the bus from the goal here. And I would I, agree with you, because if they could, get a clean sheet, they advance. They, they advance 1-1 with the away goal. Absolutely. I, yeah. I don't think they're going to take many chances at all. I think they're going to keep 10 men in the box here. I think this game, you know, and at some point Madrid might have to open it up in the second half. But I 
I think I would be shocked if there's a first half goal here. And I, with an in-game opportunity, then you're going to set yourself up for a big middle. I, I love what you're talking about there with that first half being an under. If you have an option to bet a first half goal of half, you should get a first half total of a half or less. Uh, excuse me, half. Uh, so take a look at that one. Right now, Chelsea plus 123 on the three-way line. The draw is plus 230, and then you have plus 240 on Real Madrid to win outright. Total of two and a half shaded heavily to the under at minus 130. Mike, I'll tell you one thing. When you look at Chelsea, all competitions, last 23 matches, 21 games have stayed under two and a half goals. Yeah. You brought it up, and you've been uh, you know harping on this. The way they've the job they've done defensively has been off the charts. That's the focus of Tyco. Yeah. They brought Tyco in and they've turned their season around. Interesting news also, we see my guy Jose Mourinho lands with uh, Roma for next year. You knew he wouldn't be out very long, I mean, with his storied career. But that's another guy with the defensive-minded style that not a lot of teams like to play. You know what? It seems like Serie A is where people to go uh, go for the twilight of their career. Mm-hmm. He can run into, uh, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo along with Ibrahimovic. I mean, you've got guys over there. And Bruce Marshall. <laughs> Uh, uh, I can't wait for this one. This one goes in 40 minutes, second leg of the Champions League. Uh, Again, under two and a half on that one for myself and both Mike. When we come back, Major League Baseball, the Pirates and the Padres. Good pitching matchup today. We'll discuss that next. into the nuts uh, taking a look at major league baseball good matchup today down at petco between the pirates and padres you darvish going in this one for the padres that's why there's such prohibitive favorites at minus 250 for the pirates it will be jt brubaker in this matchup he's gotten off to a good start so far as as pittsburgh as a team 13 and 16 i know it's not a great record but i don't think the pirates were expected really to do much at all this year no they weren't it's interesting when betting these series between padres and and pirates the Pirates have dominated the Padres as of late. When they win the first two games of that series uh, in Pittsburgh, that four-game set early in the year, the first time the Padres went to the road, you know, that made them eight in a row over the Padres. Padres salvaged one of the last two games. And then in this series, it's been a split with two low-scoring games. What was it, 2-0 and 2-1 last night, the Pirates? So I talked to Eric Abrams, you know, Gil's, Gil's friend and, 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 and betting confidant, uh, who's been going to a lot of the games, lives there in La Jolla, said it's perfect under weather right now. It's damp uh, and cold at night. So when the weather turns, it gets a little warmer in San Diego. But we're not seeing much scoring at Petco. And then Darvish. I, I give Darvish credit. You know, we joked the U Darvish high, uh, Cy Young campaign began on opening day. This guy, U Darvish, and somebody tweeted this, that, that I mentioned this. So somebody is watching. Uh, U Darvish has not given up a hit with a two-strike count yet this year. It's that's incredible. Well, you mentioned Darvish. Outside of that first start where he got roughed up against the Diamondbacks mm-hmm. on opening day, if you look at his last five starts, he has been absolutely stellar in terms of what he's been able to do for this team. He's given up just a single earned run in each one of those games. But, Mike, more importantly, over that course of games, he's only given up 15 hits in just uh, t- uh, 33 and a third innings pitched. Remember the game he lost to Kershaw 2 nothing on that Saturday night at Petco? Yeah. He took a perfect game into the sixth inning, right? That, I mean, that was probably the best pitch competitive game. 49 strikeouts uh, in 38 innings pitched so far. So he's he's back to the five pitches. He's back to, to throwing with some velocity. He's back to the gyro ball and all that stuff we said when he first came over. Yeah. And he's, he looks like an ace, right? And we, we questioned out of that, who's going to be their ace, right? Is Snell going to be their ace? Is Darvish going to be their ace? Will, is this the year 
Denilson Lamette steps up and is able to go six, seven innings with that dominance. So far, there's no doubt about it. It's you, Darvish. Absolutely right. Jacob, if you have the Cy Young stats for the National League, I want to take a look at Darvish because remember, yesterday Jacob deGrom got scratched due to back stiffness. This could be a lingering concern. Look, he's the runaway favorite if he can stay healthy. He's going to have to make 25 starts. Remember, he needed an extra day after Colorado and now gets stretched two starts later. Absolutely. DeGrom right now minus 125. Uh, Corbin Burns at plus $5. I don't like Burns for this reason. He doesn't go deep into games. You need a guy every fifth day. These guys are horses. When we talk about Scherzer, DeGrom, Kershaw, Darvish, what, do you, what is your problem, dude? You're sitting there mm, over there. What, what are you, a cow? You're mooing over there? Come on, give me a break. Darvish at 20 to 1. Look at his numbers. And the Padres expect to be in contention all year. I think the way he's pitching, and you get the Pirates today, this could be six consecutive starts of one run or less. I take Nola and Darvish right now. That's what I'm Nola, I'm not ready to uh, jump in on Nola at 15 to one. Yeah, his numbers like got to get a little bit better. I don't like okay. the fact that he pitches at Citizens, not necessarily a pitcher's park. I think he's worth the value though. But Darvish is definitely a play on this board. Throw out Snell. Now Kershaw, no. Bueller maybe depends on how many starts he gets. Burns struggled a little bit, but he's still with the the unbelievable strikeout walk walk ratio. I agree with you. I think Darvish is the play right now on a team, you know, that was the third choice to win the World Series. Yeah. I mean, you think he could pile up some wins, maybe get to 15 wins, and then he continues to strike out, you know, 13 guys for every nine and keep the walks down, have a four-to-one ratio, not give up a hit with two outs. I'm, I agree with you. I'm not – you just can't lay a, lay a price with anybody in a Cy Young betting. No, you can't because one injury and all of a sudden – now, if this were in September, it would be a different story, but with – DeGrom, some concerns. And here's the other thing. If the Mets fall out of contention with the way their offense is going, you could see DeGrom in a situation where potentially, unless he's trying to get a Cy Young, that they decide to shut him down a little bit early if there's any injury concerns because that team is not playing well. Yeah. Late, I'm t- this is late August, September I'm talking about. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen because it's it's that's one of the things you enjoy about baseball is getting to watch a guy like DeGrom pitch. Uh, so I hope for his sake, whether I make a bet or not against him, that we get to see a full season from Jacob. Yeah, it'd be really neat to be able to see that. want to hit one more game before we go to the break. Indians and the Royals. Mm-hmm. Tribe going for the sweep in Kansas City. They've won three in a row themselves. Royals, your first place Kansas City Royals sitting at 16 and 12. Blew a 3 nothing lead yesterday. Tribe comes back in that one. Today it'll be Bieber against Brady Singer. They blew the lead on Monday, too. We had Savali was down 3-1 to one in that game. So I thought this would be a line in the sand series for the Indians going in there that they had to do well. We get Bieber uh, on the mound against Singer, who's had a tendency to uh, had a tendency to give up some big innings here. I like the price with Bieber. I played him today. I, I think it's relatively cheap on the road, and I think the Tribe smell blood here to sweep this series. And by the way, one one quick footnote: uh, Terry Francona roasted Angel Hernandez. He always he goes, "Why is it always you?" Great question. Him and CB Buckner. How these guys have jobs in the major leagues is beyond the pale. That's unfair to compare CB Buckner to Angel Hernandez. Angel Hernandez is in a class by himself. <laughs> They really both are. When we come back, we'll have the Palm Readers Playbook. You're probably going to need two pens for this one. You know that our VEASAN experts are covering every sport on the board this spring to find the best bets each and every day. And now is a great time to invest in your long-term betting success. We provide all the tools you need to make the most informed bet every time, even if that means telling you when not making bets is your best option. I won't do that. Our 24-7 video coverage, data, and analysis on VEASAN.com, our daily members-only best bet emails, and an in-depth coverage of every major sport and point spread weekly is designed to improve your sports success year-round so your bankroll lasts longer and you can increase your sports betting IQ. Learn from our experience and put our team to work for you today. 
We're offering a 10-day free trial to VEASAN. Go to VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Welcome back into the nuts. We're going to get into the Palm Readers playbook in just a second, but we've got to start with the all-in segment. Mike, I'll tell you what, since college basketball has ended, my bookies love me. I missed yesterday's show. I had something to take care of. How did it go? It did not go well. I had the Bruins and the uh, Devils under three and a half, excuse me, three and a half, under five and a half, but it was 2-1 at the end of two. It was one nothing at the end of one. Yeah, third period really exploded a little bit, and then the Bruins lose that game in overtime against New Jersey. I tell you, the Devils play them tough. Yeah, they really do, and they had a nice win there coming from behind. Wouldn't have expected that, especially with the way Boston has played defensively of late. Are you going to put your toe back in the water because that makes you, what, only one game over 500? Yeah, right now, just barely above <laughs> sea level, as you like to say. <laughs> By the way, you know, it's unfortunate. We don't have college football and college basketball right now, so I might have to slow down a little bit. Go back to the one-play-a-week scenario. Or here. tennis. Well, the, the problem is the tennis goes in the middle of the night. so most You people, have to give it out the day before. Yeah, but, the, but most of the lines don't come up until mm. mid, mid part of the day. That's our, right? problem, that's our problem on Fridays when we don't know the yeah. lines for Saturday and Sunday. Well, absolutely. Like, for example, the tennis right now, you have the Madrid Open going, and it just is concluding right now. There's still a match going on. By the time the lines come up for tomorrow, people don't have an opportunity. We're off the air, so that's the reason for that. Uh, tonight, uh, today rather, I'm going to Chelsea, Real Madrid, under two and a half, Stanford Bridge, a chance for the Blues to get back to the Champions League final, and it would be nice to see them have it, take it down in Istanbul. They'll take on uh, Manchester City if they can get past this one. I like this one under two and a half goals. I got it at minus 140, but it's down to minus 130 now. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. Well, let's repop it. Exactly. I, bet it I bet it at the same number, minus 140. Remember last time we bet this game? Yeah. We bet it under two, we bet it under one and a half, and we bet it under under two and a half. So yeah. depending on how we bet our units, we we you know, we went one, one, and one on those three bets. Well the good thing was the under one and a half was a big plus. So was the under two and a half. Yeah, exactly. It was I think it was we got one fifty five and then one forty five. Exactly. After mm -hmm. uh, Pulisic had just scored there. And I think that's the biggest thing for people that are unaware or don't utilize uh, in play betting, you have to take advantage of it. It's Wednesday, so I have a relatively uh, short slate of plays. Only five today. I'm, I'm with you as well as uh, for two units. Now we're, we've won eight in a row. We've won eight plays in a row in the playbook. I know you Does that include Friday's plays you didn't give it, out? It, it, it includes Nashi Harris going before ETN as the last play of the draft. And then <laughs> you're, you're welcome. The four <laughs> plays that we tweeted on Friday and the three on Monday. Yeah. We scooped on Monday. Uh, nothing yesterday. I wasn't here. Um, so I'm with you with Real Madrid. Uh, the under two and a half. I laid the 40 cents here. It's very interesting. Watch this game. You should get a scoreless first half. If you do, it's going to come back under one and a half at a big minus at halftime. You can get probably plus. You might be close to plus 140 on over one and a half into the second half. You could set yourself up in a situation where you can't lose, and you could hit a big middle there. Uh, I talked about behind the bets. I love this means Kikuchi game. Uh, under the first five, under four, minus 120. Another two-unit play. Look, no, they're not scoring early in this series. 5-3, uh, 5-2, eight and seven runs total. But the four starters in this series in Seattle have only given up three runs combined. Means 3-0 and for the year, an ERA under two, a whip under one. And then Kikuchi lights out at, uh, at Minute Maid, his last start. Seven innings strong, took a no-hitter into the seventh. Ended up going seven, only gave up one hit against the Astros. I like him here at home. He had a rough couple starts to start the year. He's rounding into shape. This is my Martingale. I got to avoid it a little bit. Uh, because I was off, they got swept in the doubleheader yesterday. They're going to come back with Walker Bueller today um, against the Cubs. Lay 55 cents. That starts the Martingale. I like Bieber tonight with the Indians' chance to sweep the Royals here. Laying 55 against Singer, who, who's been more of a fade this year. He's 1-3 and three for the Royals. Chance for the Indians kind of get themselves back into this race in the AL Central, along with the White Sox and the Royals. 
And then, uh, and then I'm going to go back to this North Division where these totals in hockey, uh, I don't think they've come down to price yet. And we've been doing very well with the Edmonton first periods unders. Flames uh, are not a great first period scoring team as well. And Hellebuck has played well. So I think it's Hellebuck and Markstrom tonight. We'll go under one and a half and lay the 10 cents first period in the NHL. Mike, I have two questions for you. Sure. Uh, in terms of the first period unders, I know we've talked about this probably a couple of months back. How, which games do you kind of decide on? Because when you look at, like, for example, yesterday, there were a ton of different games you could have looked at. The Islanders, Sabres, uh, Bruins, Devils. In this one, you've got the Jets and Flames. Even the Edmonton game last night was only one nothing at the end of one. Yeah, I can't look like the Sabres. I'm not interested in playing them under because the goaltending is so shoddy. They can easily give up to themselves. Sure. Right? I agreed with it, but the first period yeah. uh, on your play with Bruins and Devils, that, that's that been a solid first period play. It's really been a solid game play. It just didn't work out yesterday with the the scoring in the third period. I'm not looking at, like, the Hurricanes, generally. I'm not looking at the Panthers because they're, they're so explosive, these teams. Just a quick note on the Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Take a look at them in second period over one-and-a-half goals. They, I don't know what Brendan Moore does in that 17 minutes. He's the best at adjusting I've seen in the league. Yeah. Not looking at teams like the Sharks. I'm not, you know, the teams that are poor on that side of it. I lost one the other night. I had the Kings and, and Coyotes under one and a half first period. No score with three minutes to go and lost it. Wow. Two goals in the last three. And at that point, you really can't get off it because they, they pull the end game at about the five-minute mark. An interesting thing, if you want to, on second periods, and you really only have to have about a four- or five-minute sweat, look at these games that have a six going in pre-flop, and then the second periods are going to be plus 130 to plus 150 because of the long change. If you can fade the first four minutes of that period, then you can go also over one and a half at a plus 130 or 140 and just lock up the winner and not have to sweat it. But you got to get through the first four or five minutes of the second period. In terms of the baseball, the first five, because I, I will tell you in all honesty, I love your play on the Orioles game, but that is not one I would have looked at. I tend to hone in, hey, I'm a little bit more of a National League guy, but mm-hmm. still look at the American League. And then I focus in on probably about 14 to 16 teams. The Orioles are just not one team I bet on or against. And the Mariners are a team that I don't get involved with much. Pay attention to these Mariners games. Okay. They're very low scoring, especially in Seattle this year. They've been and that's really I haven't I haven't delved into it until now when I'm seeing these trends about the lack of runs. Maybe this lack of runs on the West Coast has something to do with the weather, not only in San Diego, but all the way up the coast to Seattle. The cooler air, the more damp air still until we get in really into the teeth of late June and July when the when the weather starts heating up. Amal, we didn't get to cover this in the B block. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Rays and athletics tonight. I think Robbie Ray is an interesting pitcher to watch. Remember last year, Wayne gave him out to me as a 51 Cy Young candidate. He was awful. Still couldn't throw strikes. Here's the interesting stat for Robbie Ray. Not only is he throwing 95 or 96, but in 22 and two-thirds innings, only nine walks this year. Remember, he was averaging over a walk per inning the last two years. I think that he's worth a look at a play tonight, even though Oakland's played so well. Ray on the road with the Blue Jays tonight. That's one to keep an eye out for. Toronto looking to bounce back after only scoring a single run yesterday. When we come back, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, a lead draft analyst and co-host of the Two for One Drafts podcast will join us. And we'll find out from him who he thinks really whiffed on the draft. days for your winnings cash out instantly with bet rivers new feature rush pay get your cash when you want it at bet river sportsbook the industry leader with exclusive bets daily specials odds boost and the most in-play betting options out there as always get 250 dollars match bonus 
Fastest payouts and only one-time playthrough at Bet Rivers, your hometown sportsbook. Offer valid in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Virginia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Available at PlaySugarHouse.com in New Jersey. Must be 21. Gambling problem, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Indiana, 1-800-9 with it. Colorado, 1-800-522-4700. Michigan, 800-270-7117. Virginia, 1-888-532-3500. Not valid in Iowa. Very good, Amal. Welcome back into the Nuts. I'm Mike Palm. He's Amal Shaw, and we're very pleased to have Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus join the program, talk a little bit about his reaction to the NFL draft. He's done a great job writing about it for Pro Football Focus, great job covering the draft, and like myself, he's a uh, fellow Golden Domer. So welcome to the program, Mike. Thanks for having me on, fellas. I want to start talking about offensive tackles, and I want to talk about comparing, contrasting, Penny Sewell, uh, Rashawn Slater, and Alex Leatherwood. How much of a difference is there between the three of them? Because there's been a lot of positive talk about Slater and what a great pick he was for the Chargers. And in comparing him with Sewell, who is thought to be this generational talent that's going to be a pro bowler for 10 years. And then on the flip side of the coin, we've heard some compare Leatherwood to Slater. But in your opinion, was he the right pick for the Raiders? To me, Sewell and Slater are clear tier, like honestly, like a few tiers above Leatherwood as prospect. Last time we saw those guys on a football field was back in obviously 2019. They both got jobs past year, but they, they didn't lose much. Like <laughs> no one was beating these guys. Whereas Leatherwood, uh, even this past year, like you saw games where not only would he you know, lose reps, like he, he had games where he was getting kind of manhandled. The, the, the game against the Cizo Jolari. Georgia edge defender went in the second round really comes to mind where just kept giving up the edge. Like he could not match Ojalar's speed. And as a tackle prospect, that's scary. Like the guys only get faster. The speed rushers only have more juice at the next level. So um, to me, there were, I think four higher rated tackles on the board for us when Leatherwood came off at 17. You mentioned it. Alex Leatherwood, I'll tell you, I thought Alabama would have five picks in the first round. The Leatherwood one surprised me. What is it with the Raiders and some of these reaches? Cleveland Farrell, I don't think anyone expected him to go for Leatherwood. Do you like what they're doing in terms of this team overall? They went defense, but in the later rounds, obviously throughout uh, needing help in the secondary. I, I just don't know how Leatherwood necessarily impacts them initially from day one for the Raiders. Yeah, I, I mean, at least 40th on our board, which means I think he's still a good player, but that's kind of consistently been the same thing. It's like, yeah, they take fine players, but they're drafting those guys at number four overall, number 17 overall, number 19 overall last year with Damon on that. Like, no one's saying these guys are bad, but it's just like those guys don't, no one else would have picked them that high. Like, no, no other team, if they were sitting there at 17, would have said, yeah, Alex Leatherwood's our guy. Damon Arnett's our guy last year, and Cleveland Farrell's our guy. That's just kind of been their MO, is that they don't, they kind of just misappropriate the value of these guys. And I think that's why they don't have, they don't have like impact players on this roster. They just kind of have a bunch of like solid ish starters. Mike, in your opinion, which team impacted themselves in a positive way this year in terms of through this draft, you think that they increased their ability to win their division or make the playoffs dramatically? I know you're high on the Patriots draft, especially with Barmore and Perkins, but also Mac Jones. Yeah, I think the Patriots I'm high on, but obviously their first round pick, I don't think even 
starts this year, Mac Jones. But I, I don't think that really impacts them too much, their ability to win that division. Now, the obvious one is you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars getting Trevor Lawrence. They could see a you know Colts-esque when they got Andrew Luck sort of. I think they went from two wins to 11 wins. I think you could see them go from one win to eight, nine, ten, even this year with how massive an upgrade that represents. Uh, the other team I'll say is the Miami Dolphins. I think if Tua makes any sort of leap forward in year two into you know top 12 to 15-ish range for quarterback position, this roster staff now, like the guys they added, even this year, Waddle, Jalen Phillips, it's the impact they want guys that, man, this team could, and it already was one of the best defenses in the NFL last year. It could be the best this upcoming season. And like I said, if Tua takes any step forward with the weapons they have now, uh, they could be a scary team. You mentioned Tua. I know we wanted to focus on the draft, but I wanted to get your thoughts on Tua. Do you think he is the guy in South Florida? Because the Dolphins are going to have a much more challenging schedule this year. Was he a benefactor of the fact that the team around him is pretty solid and that they played a weak schedule last year, or is Miami for real? I think Miami's for real, and it's not necessarily just – and it's like nothing to do with Tua. Like, it's a very good roster that they built. Like really one sort of problem-ish area at the offensive line, but they have a lot of young guys who could develop into you know quality starters. So that's kind of a TBD there. And Tua, with his rookie year, one, it wasn't – bad by any means like him getting benched just because it was a unique situation there at the end of games and two like he's coming off a catastrophic injury going from one of the best situations in college football to one of the worst in the nfl with how that off the line was so uh, i don't blame him for maybe being a little skittish out the gate like this guy if he is again this upcoming season yeah maybe it's time maybe it's time to look elsewhere but i'll give him the benefit of the doubt and trust that you know he was a player we thought highly of coming out in the draft we're talking with Mike Renner, Pro Football Focus, lead draft analyst. He also hosts, co-hosts the podcast Two for One Drafts. Uh, and you can find him on Twitter, at PFF underscore Mike. Mike, I want to ask you why you think Najee Harris wasn't the right pick for the Steelers. My co-host, them all very high on Najee Harris uh, and thinks he's going to have a tremendous pro career, but maybe did he land in the wrong spot? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is they're kind of – the Steelers are very much all in for this year. They have the most cap space in 2022 because everyone's hit for agency. Big Ben's about to retire. They just don't uh, – this is kind of their last hurrah. And, yeah, they went running back because, you know, they needed one, you know, James Conner. They needed an upgrade over him. But the bigger sort of issue was from the prime Steelers offense back in, you know, 2016 to now – they went from a top five offensive line to a bottom five offensive line. Like the offensive line just completely diminished. And so you draft a running back, kind of putting the, the, it's kind of addressing the wrong issue there, in my opinion. Like he's not the type of back that can overcome one of the worst five offensive lines in the NFL. Not a lot can. I mean, there really aren't many in NFL history that are able to do that. You really just have to, it has to always start with good run blocking at the NFL level. And they're not going to have that this year. So, putting any running back behind that offensive line as it's constructed right now is just not going to end well. So I'm not sure the thought, uh, I just don't think the value is going to be there with that pick. Yeah, I think Mike Renner makes an excellent point there because you've talked about constantly how this team could not run the ball from the two-yard line and had to throw the ball four times on first and goal-to-go situations from inside the two. So something to keep in mind there. Justin Fields goes to the Chicago Bears, falls outside of the top ten. I know you had him rated very highly. I think this is a huge uh, win for the Chicago Bears. 
Do you believe he can be the starter in day one when you look at what he's competing against and the fact that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace's jobs are on the line this year? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is he's going to have to play from day one. You know, like their, their jobs are on the line. If they go seven and nine, seven and ten, I guess now seven game schedule with Andy Dalton, they're like, if they miss the playoffs with him and he starts the whole year, they can't keep their jobs. You know, those guys get fired. So if they go seven and ten though with Justin Fields and he shows some signs of promise, all of a sudden there's a different conversation entirely. You try to think, oh, you know, continuity in the front office, head coach staff with the young quarterback, they might get the benefit of the doubt there. So I do think that yeah, it was a big play, but it also relies on Justin Fields looking fairly good from day one. Mike, how close do you think the Chargers are to the Chiefs in the AFC West? My personal opinion was I thought the Chargers had as good a draft class as any. They were able to address their needs on the offensive line and in the secondary. And I think this team, with any improvement from a game management perspective, uh, getting rid of Anthony Lynn, can be very competitive with the Chiefs. I do too. Now, it obviously depends on Herbert development. He was great for a rookie quarterback in terms of you know, quarterbacks around the NFL. He's still a massive step behind a Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, the elite guys at the top of the sort of food chain of quarterback position. So still need to see that, but they gave him the ideal scenario to do it. Like Rashawn Slater, NFL ready in pass protection. Like he'll step in in day one. That was the glaring hole on that offense and they filled it. So they completely revamped their offensive line. Really no excuse for him not to take that next step in his development. But again, it, it's kind of like same story with the Dolphins. Mike, we got about if he does, Sorry, they're, they're on par with the Chiefs. If he doesn't, they're, you know, kind of still the afterthoughts in that division. Uh, Mike, we have about a minute left. The Green Bay Packers, I don't know if they're aware that you're allowed to draft first-round talent and help your quarterback. What the hell are they doing up there? Uh, if I knew, uh, I'd be making a lot more money than I do right now. I, I don't think anyone knows. Like, it's brutal to kind of watch that's what now nine straight defensive draft picks outside of quarterback or one offensive one that was quarterback position so pretty brutal stretch of drafting for them this this is a team that i mean to me i don't know if aaron Rodgers is going to stay there or not i think he's going to force his way out but it's going to a lot of questions there that they have to answer and i just don't think they've done enough as mike alluded to in terms of their defensive picks, you got to get somebody on offense. They haven't had a first-round wide receiver since Javon Walker out of Florida State in 2002. want to thank Mike Renner, lead draft analyst of Pro Football Focus, co-host of Two for One Drafts podcast. You can catch him on Twitter at PFF underscore Mike. Thank you so much for the time. For sure, fellas. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Thanks, Mike. You know, you made the point about Najee Harris, which he made, which was you got to draft an offensive lineman, and I think that's an extremely valid point. Well, you need to usually build your offensive line first before you make the running game a, a focus. Absolutely right. You know, the reality of it is nobody wants to talk about it. As great as Najee Harris may be, if you don't have a running game, I mean, an offensive line, the running game is non-existent. Real quick, Amal, who do you want to see taking on Man City in the final? Chelsea, I want a nil-nil draw here. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's hope it's the Blues uh, taking on Manchester City. It'll be in Istanbul at the end of the month. Should be a terrific one. That's going to do it for us here on The Nuts. The betting across America is next. <laughs>